But when you hear it again and again and again, like you realize that when you walk up to a project that people are like, oh, it's a woman. Oh, is she going to be able to handle the saw? Is she going to be able to handle this blowdown? Is she going to be able to handle training? And so, you, you know, maybe you feel like you have to kind of bring it extra, which we do. <laughs> but I think we were able to shed some light on that so that maybe folks who say those kind of things can maybe ask themselves, wait, why am I saying that? Like, is there something there? And those of us who are hearing it, we don't have to just brush it under the rug. We can kind of be like, huh, is this, is this an issue where I work? Is there anything here? You know, is there anything that maybe we can do a little better? Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 128 once again features Martha Beckton the owner of Becton Trails. If you listened to Martha's previous episode on Trail Effect, you likely have a great idea of what she's all about. For this episode, we are covering her SheSaws presentation that was part of the International Trail Summit, which was held in Reno, Nevada this past April. Martha provides a recap of her presentation and a recap of the overall conference from her perspective. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dojustsendit.com will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. Since the temps are finally warming up here in the Midwest, I've been starting to wear the Wayward Short Sleeve Active Top from Kettle Mountain. The Wayward Active Top is super breathable for maximum comfort, and it has a minimalist design so you can pick your kids up from school when you're done riding without looking like a Power Ranger. You can purchase the Wayward Short Sleeve Jersey Active Top and all the other fine Kettle Mountain Apparel products at ketlmtn.com backslash josh or hit the link in the show notes and you'll be supporting the Trail Effect podcast in the process. Use the code TRAILPOD when checking out for a 20% discount on all Kettle Mountain Apparel. You can also use the word TRAILPOD when checking out from Trail One Components. Check out all the good Trail One components at www.trail1.bike. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all of the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. Now on to Trail Effect with Martha Beckton and the She Saws presentation. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I've got Martha Beckton back. Martha, just just so you know, Martha, your podcast episode or conversation that we had, which is episode 118 for those who haven't listened, as we record this today is the number two most downloaded podcast episode of the Trail Effect podcast episodes behind Steve Kasachek. Are you kidding me? So <gasps> I'm not kidding you. I wish you people could see my face. Like, I'm going to cry. So yes, so that definitely was a, a well-received, well-heard podcast interview. And for those that haven't, if you know, if 
if by chance somebody hasn't listened to that episode yet, you should definitely <laughs> listen to that episode. There's Martha's got a lot of energy that she brings to everything she does, and that definitely comes through in that episode. But for those that don't know, Martha is the owner-founder of Becton Trails. She's the director at Duke Energy Trails, an environmental planning and development program at Rockingham Community College in North Carolina, and she's a chainsaw sorceress. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> pro, 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 the apostle? No, that's not that. Uh, pro, promoter? <laughs> Well, I was initially going with wizard, but I'm like, I got to bring the female version of wizard in here. So we're going to go with sorceress. Jesus. <laughs> One day people are going to stop with me. They're like, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> Hilarious. But we're here to talk about the International Trail Summit, which happened last month in Reno, Nevada for 2023. You gave a very important presentation. I had uh, an unofficial backstage pass to that presentation. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> I was we'll behind the stage. That. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we're gonna talk about the she saws presentation and why represent why representation matters in technical trail skills skills if i can spit all that out how's it going today things are good a disclaimer to your listeners i do have a cough drop in my mouth i have like every upper respiratory thing. i don't have like covid and i don't have pneumonia but i'll be getting better and then a new pollen wave hits and here we are well, you've been going Same probably 100 miles an hour for the last month and probably prior to that even too, because you've, I mean, since we've, obviously we're in Reno together, that's a ways away from where both of us live. You've yeah. since been to Alabama and who knows where else, plus your regular work. Yeah. All the things. Oh, and there's some sniffling. So anyway, it's the season, you know, hopefully when you guys are listening to this, there's some more pollen. <laughs> so, man, I don't know where to start. I mean, the ITS. You know, so was that the one in Syracuse? I guess that was 2019 in New York. It was great. Like I really, you know, for the listeners, whether you've only been to the International Trails Summit, used to be Symposium, or you've only been to the PTBA Annual Sustainable Trails Conference, well, every other year, kind of, or you've been to both or neither, there's a lot of overlap, but there's, there's a distinction. The ITS, which this year was Partnership Between American Trails, and the Professional Trail Builders Association, but cast a broader net. You know, so a lot of land managers, a lot of nonprofit and partner groups, and there is an international component to it, which is near and dear to my heart, bringing everyone in the same room. Because we all are, <laughs> we're on the same team, playing different roles. And I just really like being in the mix with so many um, folks from all those different facets, like I said. And I've never been to Reno before. <laughs> it's amazing how like ignorant you are on what's where. Like I, <laughs> if someone had given me a blank map of like Nevada and California, they said point to Reno. Like I would just kind of like draw a big oval circle around a huge portion of the border. Like I have no idea. <laughs> Turns out it's right near Lake Tahoe, <laughs> which I learned when we went out there. And Lake Tahoe has more snow than anyone can imagine. You got to see it to believe it. So we drove around a bit. Downer Pass is out there. Yeah, it was just great. It was a it was a electric um, conference, and it was so big. It was the biggest one to date. Um, I don't know the official numbers. Somewhere between nine hundred and a thousand attendees, and it was the first one since COVID. And just like last year's PTBA conference was exciting, it was like extra exciting. And I don't even know why. I think you know I was never. I've never been to the Nugget 
before in Reno, which is sort of the old stomping grounds for some of the early PTBA conferences, as, as I have learned. It is this old school. It looks like it's one of those places. It's a casino, but they also have the capacity to hold conferences. And it is freeze print. Like if you needed to film a movie set like in 1978 of like what it was like at a casino, you wouldn't have to do anything different. Just go to the nugget. <laughs> and so it was, which I really like. It was neat. And the way the way it was set up, we all there was a they had set up the trail hub sort of in the center of all the concurrent sessions. And that's where the vendors were and the food. So like most important was you had to go back to the central area to eat and to go to the different sessions. And so so easy to like talk to people, right? To grab someone's sleeve or someone grab your sleeve and either stand in the middle of the place or go off in a corner and talk. And I really appreciated that. There's there's an irony that partner Robert Fina, he's like, I don't understand why these conferences are in like we're in a casino that makes no sense. It's like the opposite of trails. And I'm like, I mean, where else are you gonna have it? Last year in Bentonville, we were kind of spread all over town, which is exciting. We got to see all over Bentonville. But dang, it was really hard to talk to people in between sessions. Because if you weren't going to the same session, it was just the logistically was hard to talk to people in between things. So so I really appreciated that ease. But yeah, it was just oh man. I mean, how was it for you, Josh? Like how I mean, how did it feel for you? You've been to these things. It was it was good. I I kept a purposely kept a pretty low profile. You know, like I didn't do any, I didn't even plan on doing any recording while I was there because it's, I think it's, I learned, I've learned at other conferences that it's really tough to get a good conversation recorded. One, because of audio, two, because people are just getting pulled in multiple directions. And so for me, it was really just a a networking session. You know, the whole time I got to catch up with some people that I haven't seen in a while. And one of my favorite I'm going to say old school trail builders, uh, Mike Ryder. I got to spend a bunch of time talking to him. You met Mike Ryder for the first time. That's one of the, I have multiple certificates from Mike Ryder. When we talk about certificates. I don't know all the things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you're done, I'll, I'll share you the, my introduction story to him. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but it was good. Like I, I stayed off site about 15 minutes away. So I typically try to plan stays close to trails purposely, you know, because if, if I'm going, I mean, like I joked that it was a, the light bulb moment for me that I was, cl- I'm clearly vacationing wrong in life was in the, the first afternoon when we had keynote speakers and thank yous about who sponsors what it was, you know, one of the sponsors was the federal highway association or FHWA. Right. <laughs> and, and here I am a D Wisconsin DOT employee which gets a lot of funding from FHWA. And then one of the panelists of one of the presentations was a federal highway or FHWA director. And I'm like, this is, this is backwards. Why am I on vacation? Although I, I mean, I'd really like being on a vacation like that. I mean, that's my way of doing vacation, but it's like, I don't know why most people go to a beach or somewhere else. And here I'm going to a conference that's sponsored by the same organization that funds most of what I've done in my career. <laughs> so so it's that because was weird. trails is a lifestyle. It is, you know, but I did get to ride a little bit, not as much as I wanted to. We also got a little bit of snow while we were there. So like coming into the conference the second morning, because I was 15 or so minutes away, I went through several, what I call ice circles, um, otherwise known as roundabouts. Because <laughs> they didn't really do much for treat- roadway treatments and those things. And it was pretty sketchy. 
But it was good. So, I mean, the conference was good. Post-conference was actually really good because I spent a handful of days in Colorado on my way home with, with some different mountain bikers, and that was incredible too. So, But I would say overall it was a, very, a successful thing. It was overwhelming at times and still got some work done at the same time. And there's so many presentations to go to, and some of the good ones really overlapped, which is why I'm hoping to bring a couple of these to the, to the podcast so people can kind of understand what an International Trail Summit is like. Yeah. With that, I'll pass yeah. it back to you. Well, yeah, I think it's, I'm glad you're doing sort of a series kind of post ITF because I think they're really valuable professionally for folks in a variety of facets and trails. Um, you know, I mentioned it when we were talking last on the podcast is, um, you know, whether you're a volunteer or the nonprofit, and you kind of know who you are. If you're a volunteer that gets a lot done, right, and you're interested in becoming good at your craft, or you are a paid staff, you know, in a partner group, or you are a manager, or you are thinking about or already a professional trail builder, you know, these are just invaluable. You know, I know folks kind of come and go from them, you know, once they start going. But I think really opening the door, being like, you deserve to go, right? You deserve to sit in on those talks firsthand, ask questions, and talk to the presenters. You know, the presenters are just, you know, different than anybody else. They're not rock stars. I mean, there they are, but like you can go talk to them and you can get the uh, exchange information. And then now you have like a point of contact, both professionally. And these are also how friendships develop. Well, so, okay. I want to riff for a second on Mike Ritter. I got to give a shout out to a few key, key folks from the ITS. One was my, one's my partner, Robert Fina. God, he was, it was a weird role because he was my right-hand man. He has a lot more expertise, like technical expertise than I do in a lot of areas. He can do things with dirt that I will never be able to achieve. Really good with a chainsaw. You know, I, I mean, we're both seesawyers, but he can saw circles around me and he will be able to do that for a while. Great trainer. A lot of how we train, we've learned, you know, as a system between the two of us. So sometimes it's hard to tell, like, when one of our expertise ends and others begins because it's a big combination but man he was just knocked out of the park bless his heart like we stayed off site as well we had about a 10 minute walk from an airbnb i was up late on the computer i was up early on the computer i was on the computer at the thing we were like having group texts organizing you know meetups for lunch because we had those little side rooms set aside so people could use them at will which i finally just started using as a home base and he'd be like a group of 10 people that he knows one. I'm like, hey, guys, let's whoever gets lunch first, head to Redwood, whatever. And <laughs> he'd bring me plates for lunch. So it's kind of a swap of roles. Um, he was amazing. So just a huge shout out for Robert for rolling with the nuttiness that was the ITS. And then Mike, excuse me, Michael Meister from Tennessee State Parks. We met in Syracuse in 2019, have been in touch since. If you think I'm high energy, he's the Tennessee version of me, a little younger. Good Lord. Just like two little terriers, you know, off and running, always doing stuff. And he's, he'll tell you himself, he's a magical unicorn. He's like a magical Pegasus, like with the horn, like the unicorn Pegasus thing. He's all the things. And wings. Um, he, and wings. Yeah. He ended up just sort of, I don't even know how to explain it, but we orbited around each other the whole conference. It was really good. Because it turns out we were kind of been working on some overlapping things the last couple of years. Me a little bit at the county level, 
in Rockingham, North Carolina. He at the state level. And then when I started talking to him about higher ed stuff, I didn't know his background was actually technically teaching. So anyway, Mike not only just we got involved in stuff together at the ITS, he was like my lighting guy, like for one of the one of the sessions. And he was just trails the trails community, like being a problem solver is currency. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like that in a lot of areas, but truly in trails, because all of us are overworked and you know, so if you can show up solving problems. You're golden. And that's Michael Meister. And Michael, the first night, like the night that the ITS really kicked off, Robert and I are about to head out. There's only a few folks left in the trail hub where the vendors are. And I see Michael and I was like, hey, he's like, Martha, come here. He's like, I want to introduce this to somebody. I was like, all right. He's like tall, older guy. But clearly, this was his booth. He's like, I'm introduce you to Mike Ritter. You guys should talk about, uh, you know, uh, education, higher ed, and trails. You know, he might, you might be interested in him coming up to Rockingham to teach. Like, oh yeah, Mike, what's your background? And you know, I'm trying not to be like, I don't know who this guy is. I'm trying to kind of sniff him out. And then Michael Meister gives, you know, he's like, everything I've learned about trail building, I've learned from Mike Ritter. So for better or for worse, but I think he's really good. Yeah, it turns out Mike Ritter. <laughs> I learned over the course of the like, 24 hours that he basically started like the Invitrail crew care program, popular terms like rolling gray dip and, you know, rolling contour design. <laughs> we have Mike Ritter to think. I mean, I know we don't work in a vacuum, but he's a big deal. And I immediately knew that on that conversation with Michael Meister, that this is the person you were referencing when you had said you taken some classes from and had certificates. <laughs> Mike Ritter turned out being a key person as well, not just because he's Mike Ritter and he's there. But yeah, we really, um, we really, oh, it's weird, uh, hit it off together. Not only have a lot of shared interests, but he, I'll probably make it make sense later on, but he, he really told me some meaningful things over the course of the ITS, some side conversations and, um, you know, because sometimes me, you know, I am kind of high energy and I get myself involved in a lot of things. And sometimes you're like, am I even like doing anything? Is <laughs> like, what I'm doing. Like, you don't always know, I guess, your value or how you're perceived sometimes. And sometimes you just keep doing the thing. He gave me really direct feedback. Um, I was really appreciative. Like he was very appreciative of some of the stuff I'm doing. Which is really meaningful because he's been around. Like, uh, I could talk more, but I just, I can't. Like, Mike Ritter and I now text. You know, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> that was like the whole idea. Like, it was, it was like that times a thousand. The venture really cool. Connections are the really, mm, OGs. <laughs> yeah, Mike is definitely an OG in the trail community. We've been hosting Mike here in La Crosse, where I live, to teach what he teaches since 2007. Yeah. And he's actually going to be back here again next month. And the interesting thing with Mike is that he's been around forever, and that's not a cut on his age. That's just saying he knows a lot. Yeah. He is a mountain biker. He's a horseback rider. And he rides motorcycles in the dirt. And so he's looking at it from multiple lenses and what we do. You know, he's not, he's not just in one silo. I could, I could squarely say I'm pretty much in one silo with a mountain bike. 
I don't ride horses and I don't ride any motos or anything else. And I, I walk in the woods. <laughs> yeah. You know, so Mike, Mike has been pivotal in the state of Wisconsin as well, because he got, he helped get mountain bike access to, a, it's around close to a 9,000 acre piece of property, about 45 minutes from where I live that prior to that, it was just horses and hiking. And he was like, why don't you guys share? He is awesome. And like, sometimes when folks say really down to earth, like it's hard to really know what that conveys unless you also knew the person they're talking about, but he's kind of all the things, right? Like he, he's down to earth, but he also takes credit for his role, you know, which is really, I really appreciate that. Before I move on, I want to give a big shout out to Aaron Amadan of Town 4 Trail Services up in Maine. She was so many good conversations with Aaron about, especially around some of the women in trail building things. And Kristen Bailey, who works up in the weights with the Forest Service. Man, another really high energy, just amazing, effective person. You know, they, those two and a few others, like Susan Shin, blanking on the organization Susan is with, but she's out on the West Coast uh, and a, a partner group. Those three women and quite a few others who I was like, hey, you know, leading up to the conference, like, hey, I'm putting together this talk, you know, this She Saw's talk. Can you just be in the room? Because, uh, you know, I, I'm speaking from my own experience. I need to make sure that I'm not over-representing. And I'd like some other voices in the room because I would like to have this be a... Um, keep my presentation part to be about half the session and then open it up for discussion. And I need, I need you guys there. And they're like, absolutely. And they were there. So just a big shout out to all them. Should we talk about the she saws thing? Yeah. I've got a handful <laughs> of bullet points that I pulled from the actual presentation or from the description for the presentation that we can go through. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're going to put your spin on it. And just uh, another thing is that you also GoPro'd this whole thing, and we will link the GoPro videos, I think you sent four of them, in the show notes. So for anybody that actually wants to witness what happened there visually, because usually I only do audio, you have it video, and we'll, you know, we'll, put those, we'll put those links in the show notes. So for those that want to jump over to the GoPro that Martha put out there, <laughs> it's there. I will warn you, when I told my daughter, who's 13, that a GoPro check. Was it, on your, was it on your helmet? Which is hilarious because I never put this thing on my helmet. I was <laughs> like, no. <laughs> that would have been it an is. interesting way of GoProing this specific thing. It's a presentation, not like some point of view, like mountain biking or other like trails, like thing that you would typically do point of view of. <laughs> People would have been nauseous because I was moving around so much, <laughs> even with the anti-movement thing. Well, and he would have not seen you at all. It would have just been the crowd the whole time. <laughs> Although we could have done the GoPro, like if you did the GoPro off the helmet where it actually is like off the front of the helmet, but looking back at you and then it swivels with you, that would have been awesome. Well, the things are good. Um, well, it's an under, so, okay. So just to manage expectations for the listeners, um, this is an underwhelming use of GoPro technology. <laughs> I, have, I have found over this last year that the GoPro audio is quite good. So if you don't have for real audio equipment, just sticking a GoPro in the corner when you're giving a talk or something, it's definitely better than an iPhone. It's decent, but there's, <laughs> there's no action. <laughs> okay. It's just like, <laughs> just, you know, it, it's not on my helmet. Would have been cool to like pass it around the audience, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, and it is in four parts because the way that I have the GoPro set up, it's like in 20 minute segments. So, and I haven't watched the very end yet. So I actually didn't check to see if it's all there, but I don't know. It, I think it'll be useful for folks. Well, here, I'll hand it back to you and then I'll, I'll go from there. Well, the first bullet point that I have here is recognize the value of representation and who teaches technical trail skills to improve the att- attraction, retention, and development of workforce to the field of outdoor recreation, system development, maintenance, and management. So I believe that would be the first part of your presentation. Yeah, that's very good. We're good. <laughs> okay, part two is... Uh, development. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, this whole thing... Let me set the stage a little bit. First of all, yes. I mean, that was like the point of the thing. But it kind of culminated from a lot of conversations that haven't been happening, right? A lot of conversations on the side over the years um, between myself and others, but things we're experiencing. And anyone who's like on LinkedIn or like the parts of social media that are talking about representation, whether it's bias, racially, sexual orientation, uh, all the things. None of this is new, but not everyone's on those parts of the internet, right? So. You know, basically at, after um, Benville last year, I was like, I would like to do this talk. And then so when they did an all call for presentations, this is one of the first ones I submitted. And it also came out of Bentonville because uh, we mentioned last time you and I talked, we had a little women's, little, we had a women's only session, women in trail building in Bentonville. And it was about 23 of us in the room, which was only 7% of the attendees. I know we missed a few who weren't in the room. That's kind of representative of the trail building industry. When you get into the administration of trail systems, uh, it is not as underrepresented as that. But when it comes to the hands-on in the field and the technical skills, that's about right. And when it comes into like female members of the PTBA, I mean, it's less than that. So I've been putting it together and I've been sort of picking away at this for like over a year, not sitting down at my desk, like these are the exact things I'm going to say, but kind of, making some notes myself what I want to say. But of course, it's like down to the wire, you know, like supposed to give this talk on Tuesday. And it's literally the day before I'm still practicing. I'm like, God, I'm like, it's just it's like clicking. This is like clicking. Like I really wanted it to be a um a calling in. Like not a calling out, but a calling in. And sort of fluff the room up some like, hey, you know, here's kind of some biased things. Here's what it looks like. Like it's so innocent. But this is kind of what it means. Like it might seem innocent, but it takes a lot of energy to be moving around in this space when, like, you hear all these things, like, you know, I have no problem with a woman running a chainsaw, and you're like, hmm, <laughs> you know, so, so, but it just wasn't clicking, and then finally the day before, I just threw the whole thing away and started over, and which I basically stayed to the format I had figured out <laughs> the day before, but I was coming in so hot, like the the presentation was at 2.30 in the afternoon. And all that morning, I had been doing uh, trails and higher ed stuff, which we'll talk about after, which was mind-blowing. Like, people we had in the room, so those conversations, I was just like, head was exploding, things were getting done, it was super exciting. And I was just, <laughs> it came time for me to get ready for the talk, because I'd actually brought my saw clothes, my saw gear out for the talk. You know, I'm, I just skipped the session prior to just kind of get ready. And I'm trying to like, you know, in a mindfulness sense of like, get grounded and, you know, 
be mindful and not be peeing off the walls. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. We're just gonna, we're just gonna go in there, far and hot, because I can't seem to settle myself down. Hopefully, I'm coherent and don't just say profanities the whole time. <laughs> like, and hopefully, I don't talk too fast. And when I got to the room, I didn't even know which room it was. I mean, I knew on paper which room it was, but I hadn't put my eyeballs in the room. So when I walked into the room at like 2.15, it was the smallest room in the whole conference. I admit I was a little disappointed, but the benefit is, is we we packed it out. I mean. (laughs) That's how I got an unofficial backstage pass. Why don't you tell it from your perspective at that moment? Because I was watching the GoPro and I, I can see when that happened. Like, well, I'm going to hand the mic to you for a second. Aaron Rodgers and I walked in together and we were, I think we were, we walked in right as it was starting and the room was full. And so we kind of sat in this corner, but you couldn't see you at all, really. And so then we checked, we noticed that there is a couple, like, I think there is three chairs and one of them was taken up right behind you. And so we decided to move over to those three chairs and then people still continue to filter in after us. And so, yeah, you're right. It was a small room and it, it definitely needed to be a, a bigger room. And I don't know. I mean, who knows what, how, or why logistically things get laid out the way they do. There was a lot of rooms there and it just is what it is. It is what it is. But at the same time, I think it probably made the session, maybe this is a bad choice of words, more intimate, you know, oh, so totally people could, mm-hmm. people felt like they could, it was easier to talk amongst each other. And especially when it opened it up to the second half, you know, where you were taking feedback from everyone that was there and answering questions. It really did. And because, I mean, intimate is exactly the right word. I mean, it really was. And, you know, I was, I was kind of roaring to get going because I just like <laughs> the, I don't know, excitement and anxiety in me, which was like, burning a hole through my person. So I was just so eager to get going. I was like, I can't start early. I can't start early. I can't start early. Um, But I did kind of get going, but like I could see people backing out, out the door. And so I kept stopping and say, Hey, move in, like really move in, you know? Um, And the the session before me had been a panel. It was a panel that Emba was on and talking about, um, Oh, probably e-bikes. I forget. So it was so, it was still set up like that. So yeah, you guys ended up in the panel chairs that we'd pushed back. Along the door, along the, the wall. I mean, and um, because it was so close, I mean, I'm like looking at like a still shot of it today, like right now as we talk. I could, like, every time people were nodding and smiling or cringing a little, you could just feel it. Like, you could feel it from each other. And I think it really did make it a nice, uh, I think it was good. Some of those really bigger rooms, I don't think would have felt, would not have been as productive. And the talking part afterwards. Yeah, I will say and, mm-hmm. I was in other rooms that were like maybe the same size, but like longer and narrower. And so like when you're in the back, you're all you're a ways back. And that was not this was the opposite of that. And so this was good. It was set up this way. Yeah, in a way, like the room was not fan shaped. It was a it was a weird non-standard shape. And so yeah, at no point was anybody that far away. You know, it was kind of like an arc of people instead of a tunnel of people. And yeah, we just like, it was like off to the races, like the gun went off, the gates were open and off. <laughs> we went. And- the only thing I was missing was you firing up a chainsaw. <laughs> you know, I thought about the day before, because we could have gotten a chainsaw in there, but I was like, that would just be distracting. It was good. And, you know, 
it's hard to say, but the room is probably 80 to 90% female for people who identify as female. And I was trying to, I was hoping to have, um, I wanted men to be welcome too. And I felt like we had a pretty good space for that. And, you know, some of the things we talked about was, you know, we try to kind of set the ground, like, hey, what are some common things we all have in this room? Like, we like to work with our hands. We like to be able to see that at the end of the day, we've we've done something, like it's physical, like it's there. And we like working outside. And even folks who maybe their job is more office-based now, um, they still have that sort of common appreciation for the outside stuff. And we kind of shed light on how satisfying this work is. and why don't we have more women doing it? You know, and I kind of, kind of like the family going to therapy, like you can't get better if you don't talk about all the things, right? You can't just like nod your head and say everything's fine. It's like, you know, so we did kind of talk about some of the bias, you know, we experience and hopefully to help get people thinking. So not just those thinking who are sort of, um, when a lot of times when those things are said to us, again, my favorite one is I have no problem with women running a chainsaw. Um <laughs> Again, it sounds kind of innocent and it's usually not meant in any kind of bad way. But when you hear it again and again and again, like you realize that when you walk up to a project that people are like, oh, it's a woman. Oh, is she going to be able to handle the saw? Is she going to be able to handle this blowdown? Is she going to be able to handle training? And so, you, you know, maybe you feel like you have to kind of bring it extra, which we do. <laughs> but. I think we were able to shed some light on that so that maybe folks who say those kind of things can maybe ask themselves, wait, why am I saying that? Like, is there something there? And those of us who are hearing it, we don't have to just brush it under the rug. We can kind of be like, huh, is this, is this an issue where I work? Is there anything here? You know, is there anything that maybe we can do a little better? And then, yeah, we talked about the workforce shortage, right? Anybody trying to hire, whether it's a nonprofit, a trail builder, or land manager, it's hard to hire right now uh, for a bunch of reasons. Part of it is like the public doesn't really realize this is a viable career. But I think part of it too is I think women, well, a lot of the folks doing the work are white males. The social media folks who are in charge of the social media account, which very few times as a professional, it's just us doing our best, right? There's a little bit of tokenism, right? Like when you got like the one black guy, the trail crew, like you try to make sure he's in the photos, which, you know, it is what it is. And it's important that we try to boost the representation that we have. But when you show up, you're like, oh, wait, there is the only one black person <laughs> here among 20 or the only three female among 20 or whatever. So, you know, I think I think a lot of our potential workforce just don't see themselves represented in the work. Because because they're not right. So what you know what can we kind of do about that? And the you know we kind of moved into into that. What can we do about it? And and part of the talk was me admitting that I myself have chosen to be a little bit more out front as being a a woman who has technical trail skills, um, both as a trainer and as a professional, um, and walking that long between line between not overselling my skill set. I'm not the best. Like, I'm not amazing. <laughs> I'm perfectly adequate in a lot of things. <laughs> but I enjoy teaching. <laughs> and I really enjoy teaching and making people feel a little more comfortable doing these skills, um, whether they are represented or underrepresented. And I enjoy the problem-solving aspect of teaching. And 
but letting myself be a little more out front that I am a female and let's talk about some of these things that we can break some barriers down. And we kind of went into, you know, I wanted folks who were there to walk away with some action items they could do. And I can talk more about that, but I want to hand the mic over to you though. And like, you know, you were there in the room. I want to hear kind of like, cause you and I haven't really synced up. Like what was your experience like there at the talk? I was pleasantly surprised with this, how many females were in that room. You know, I, I too think there should have been more males in that room, mm-hmm. but you know, part of the problem we've already identified is that you go to a conference like that and there's like a bunch of other things going on at the same time. Yeah. You know, I definitely made it a point to be in your thing. One, because it's you two, because I want to continue to shine a light on these topics and three, because I wanted to see how other people, how other people reacted to it, what some of the questions were, you know, and just who, who was there. And so I thought it was awesome that you actually fully dressed up as a Sawyer. You should describe this to the listeners. <laughs> well, they can, call, they can look at the video. That's true. <laughs> they can look at the video, but I mean, you had full on chaps, you know, mm-hmm. the full setup that like you're going out to either train or do the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that was good too. Like I hadn't, I wouldn't have thought of that personally. Because nobody is in there in there. Well, I mean, some people like showed up and what they wear every day, but like it's a conference. Like, so you don't think to show up and what you're going to wear into the woods. You wear what you wear to a conference, which typically isn't chainsaw chaps and a helmet and all the other things. I mean, we were missing the saw, but. Yeah. And my belt, my cool suspenders. But you had all the things, right? I mean, yeah. all the things to, to prove the point or to make the point to, to both verbally and visually talk about your topics. And the second bullet point is exactly what you were going into, which is the develop actionable changes. And I think that is important because we do need to not just talk. We do need action is a lot more important than words. Yeah. Well, and I feel like in some of these conversations, the way they go is people kind of recognize it. Um, uh, I don't want to say, that, I was going to say people recognize it as a problem, but that makes it sound like super big and it's un, you know hard to do. And but people kind of recognize something there, but then we're like, well, what are we going to do? You know, and I, I really wanted to make it very accessible because a lot of these things, it's really just nibbling around the edges in a good way, right? It's not just, it's not just lip service, but there are some, once it's on your radar and you start asking yourself, oh, we do have our intern crew this summer of three females and, and two guys, and we do need to have a saw training to get everyone certified. Who should we bring in? right? There's a decision point. Somebody's making that decision. So I wanted to help like some no BS things people can do. Not like bring in a DEI person, like diversity, inclusion, uh, equity, inclusion, and and do full training because all that's really important. But that's also like not going to happen anytime soon for a lot of these workplaces or organizations. So in the meantime, what can you do? And, you know, one of the things we talked about was not only the people who are doing this work, letting themselves be a little more seen, but like the training component, right? Like there's two different parts, the people who need training and the people who give it, I guess there's a third part, the people who are making decisions on hiring trainers. And, you know, I really wanted the women in the room to self-advocate that they need training, right? They deserve to become good at their craft. And many times, I think we all have stories of like, doesn't matter who you are. 
man, sensor gets sent to training and like they don't really need it or they're not going to use it. Um, or they do need it, but I really feel that we had the nerve budget to send both of us, right? Um, self-advocate. And for folks who are in the decision-making of hiring trainers or in the decision of sending people off the training, do that leadership thing of make sure maybe some of your quieter people are being included in that. There's not, a, you know, we don't not have a, we do not have a surplus of technical trainers right now, but do your best to try to bring someone in who maybe represents sort of the non-dominant group, if possible. And sometimes maybe that's a younger person or a female or a person of color or um, you do have a lot of say in who you bring in if you can find, if you can find them, right? I mean, it is kind of a problem of not having a trainers. But also really wanted to encourage women to step up and train. And, you know, I really wanted to be like, you do not have to be perfect to be a trainer. You know, I, I feel like uh, we're not the only ones who suffer from it, but sort of the imposter syndrome of like, maybe you've got tasks to do training and you're like, oh my God, like I'm underqualified. You know, if you care about being a good trainer, you're probably not underqualified, right? And you can co-train, right? You can, you can uh, ask someone, hey, can I help you train this because I want to get better. And you get, you learn stuff that way teaching it sometimes. So really kind of encourage people like get out there, help train, become a trainer and help, help this representation thing. And then also, you know, really try to hit the mentorship thing. Like you don't need a formal mentorship program to be mentoring somebody. You're smiling, right? Like, right. Yeah. Because you said the word formal. And I think so many people like are afraid to do that because there might not be a formal mentorship program wherever you are, but it doesn't take being formal to step up and, and help someone. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't want to undersell the importance of the folks who are in the, um, the seasonal positions or, you know, whether it's an internship, seasonal position, whatnot, that person is starting, they're on their career trajectory. So if you're the full-time employee, or full-time staff, and you have the intern or the seasonal, do the right thing, right? Like, talk to them, see what their goals are, see how they're doing, see if they're getting the support they need. Because sometimes they might tell you, actually, you know, I really, uh, you know, they kind of task me out and put these responsibilities on me, but I, <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you'd be like, that's okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> can I help you? Can I get someone else to help you? Or maybe you can talk to the boss, right? Like hey, what are your goals for our intern? Like you task them with all this stuff. Like, what are you looking for? Like, what's their deliverable? Like sometimes you can grease the kids in a way that, um, you know, kind of mentoring light and bridging the gap that they don't really have the power to do themselves. Um, maybe they do, but maybe it's not in their personality. Help them out, right? Because you can kind of make, you might be the person who kind of makes or break them staying in this field. You know, all it takes is one of those first few seasonal positions to be like, nope, <laughs> never going back. <laughs> And then we also touched on leadership. You know, just because you have a title doesn't make you a leader. <laughs> that is so, and so true in life. We've all experienced that. And you can have, you can exhibit a lot of leadership without having fancy title. And really try to speak to that and, and empower folks to maybe have some of the harder conversations, maybe step up a little bit. 
It's tricky because, again, a lot of us are already overworked and it's like, I don't need another thing to do. But it might feel nice if you can have an impact, you know, on some of the other folks that you work with by taking some leadership on some things. And maybe you have a relationship with one of the bosses that they don't. And you're in a position to talk about some hard things that maybe someone else can't. And you can have an influence that way. So I'm going to hand it back to you. Like, what were your observations and comments from like being in the room? Well, this isn't really necessarily from being in the room, but this there's two two areas I want to expand on. The first one is we're going to backpedal to training. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you, since you've been a trainer, how much more have you learned as a trainer than when you were just mm-hmm. a trainee or actually doing the thing? Because I know whenever I've been a trainer or a coach at things in life, that's where I learn more than I did by doing the thing. I am much more self-aware of many aspects of doing the thing. So to use chainsaw, to use saws as an example, but, you know, I have to do rigging and training and then like design layout and um, tread construction. I'm not a great instructor in tread construction, but chainsaws is a good example because I'm always tuned in to the student, whether it's a small group or really that one-on-one because you kind of flex in and out of that doing the chainsaw training. What, what's kind of a sticking point for them? Like what's not clicking or what seems to be, you kind of pick up on little anxiety things that are kind of blocking something. And so, you know, it's never a problem with them hearing you. So it's not like repeating yourself. (laughs) Maybe it's coming at it a different way. And sometimes it's just body mechanics. Like, okay, what am I doing? Like, all right, they're flooding the saw. How can I, what am I doing to not flood this all? Can I describe what I'm doing in like a really graphic way? Like, what are their reference points? Do they play sports? Do they do yoga? Like, it just makes me really break down what it is I'm doing physically and mentally so that I can convey it to them in a way that they can relate to and start, um, and it can be effective on their side. I think that's what I learned most about the training part. It's not always like the skills, like the skills get better actually doing it, like doing a complex blowdown, but also just listening to how students think. Like I really encourage the students to um, think out loud so I can kind of find the like, oh, wait, wait, back up, walk me through that bind again. And they're doing it like, hey, what do you see here? Okay. And then you can see like the break in their understanding and, and try to bridge it. But yeah, a lot more, I think, self-awareness of my brain is working and my body is working when I'm doing things so that I can teach it. Well, and the reason why I ask that question specifically is to essentially encourage more people to take the role of a trainer in that there's yeah. byproduct benefits of being a trainer that are, I say a lot, as what, I'm gonna, what I'm about to say is something I, I do say a lot and it's something I pulled out. I mean, I, I knew it before I heard it, but... I didn't really ever hear it said this way, which is Matthew McConaughey a couple of years ago wrote a book called Green Lights. And he talked about in that book, the intersection of selflessness and selfishness being that sweet spot. And, you know, being a trainer is, can be both, you know, it's selfless because you're helping others, but it's selfish because you're helping yourself. And so the reason why I asked that was to kind of illustrate that being a trainer is both those things and to encourage more people to do, to do that. Yes. and. Two additional benefits. Um, well, this isn't, so that was an exact lead into what I'm about to say. But there, there is a benefit to being somewhat newer in your craft and being a trainer of new people. 
because you can remember what the learning experience was. And you can really relate to the things that you got hung up on and make it more normal for the student. Like, hey, it's okay that this is, you're having a hard time with this. Man, I had such a hard time with that a couple of years ago. Here's how, how here's what helped me. Versus people who maybe been doing something for 20 years, they kind of forget. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. I can relate to that totally with mountain biking. Like when I'm trying to show yeah. somebody else something, it's like, I don't know, I just do it. Like, <laughs> Right. And from the student perspective, they're like, great. All right. Well. Yeah. So you have to really think about how that you just do it. <laughs> and the second thing about that, I really like that, what, how you were talking about Matthew McConaughey and then um, that sort of Venn diagram of selfish and selflessness. There's a little selfish component that you get a lot of feedback as a trainer. Well, you can. You can invite a lot of feedback. We invite a lot of feedback. Some of it's kind of hard. You're like, oh, yeah, you're not wrong. And that was hard to hear. <laughs> but you have to be a little selfless, right? So you can take it on board and not be super defensive. But the selfishness is, honestly, when people feel that you benefit them and you help them learn the skill that they're going to go use, and they tell you thank you. And they maybe tell you thank you about something that maybe you felt self-conscious about. You know, like I'm not a very linear talker and sometimes I'm overly animated and and I can be a bit much. And people giving me feedback as a trainer when they talk about those things that I have gotten negative feedback on all my life, but they're seeing it as a benefit. Um, that's a little selfish on my part to be like, oh, they do have some good qualities. <laughs> And it's like, I mean, we're both smiling really big, but I don't know, like we need some of those confidence boosts sometimes. Like it's really nice to feel that like, I don't know, you're not screwing it up all the time and you're helping somebody else. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The other direction I was going to go with what you were saying is the, is the, is the leader part. And this is from, we're going to, we're referencing books here today or authors. Although yeah, Matthew right. McConaughey really, I mean, he's an author now, but he's really more known as being an actor. But this next one is Simon Sinek. And that is, I've heard him say several times, you know, be the leader that you would want to have as a leader. And I might be saying it a little bit differently than what he says it, but you, how he says it, but you, you get the concept of, of where I'm going yeah. with that. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean you have to have the title of leader. The title often doesn't mean anything and sometimes can be even worse. It does. And I think... I think an actionable item on this kind of goes to self-awareness. Been a big theme of mine here for a while. When you're with someone and the way they're going about something like just resonates with you, tune in. What is it they're doing? Like, why did that feel okay? Like, well, I just totally screwed that thing up, but they came over and acknowledged it, but I don't feel like crap. <laughs> like the way they acknowledge it and the way we're problem solving it, um, Man, what, if, what was it about that that felt effective coming from them and makes me actually not only not feel like crap, but I feel like I can fix this problem I just made. Tune in, like tune into those around you who maybe go about something differently than you would. And be like, is that something I can take on board? Like, was it because they asked me my, instead of assuming I made a bunch of too fast decisions. Maybe they really asked me what happened here. And I got to say, well, okay, here's this and this. And I can see now that this went wrong. But I felt like we had these under control. And actually, because we had this under control, it didn't go as bad as it could. <laughs> Instead of them coming up and be like, wow, Jesus, you just screwed this up so bad. 
<laughs> right. There's there's opportunities, leadership opportunities can sometimes be really subtle and you can pick up on little things by tuning into what you feel others are doing right. So it's similar to being the leader you want to be. Sometimes that, sometimes you have no idea what that means. Sometimes it feels way far removed from who you are as a person to be a good leader. If it does, kind of just tune in, right? Whether it's coworkers, teammates, bosses, whatever, just kind of tune into like, when what they're doing sort of seems to be working well, I'm like, what are they doing? And maybe you can take some of that on board yourself. The third bullet point is integrate open communication, which we've kind of been talking about this whole time because that's really, it yeah. needs to be interwoven with all of this. And something that I don't care what anybody says, we always can strive to be better at in all facets of life. And it's, it seems like we have more avenues of communication now than ever, but sometimes somehow it's not still it's still hard right yeah and a thing i didn't touch on during the talk just think i didn't go for it because i don't remember half the stuff i said i was so <laughs> i can relate you probably just have a blank mind after that going what did i just say how did that all just go like it's just, just, just yeah. and then it, and an hour goes by and you're like wait that was like 10 minutes exactly so i think i've picked up this last year and again Brene brown it picked up from her the open communication. So it's easy for us to say we want open communication and we want feedback, but then what? Because <laughs> you get it and you're like, oh, <laughs> that was a mistake. I don't want the feedback. <laughs> or you're giving feedback and you're like, oh, I just kind of missed up there because I can see that person shutting down. I think police, I, I've been trying to police myself for defensiveness, which I think as an instructor or partner <laughs> or coworker, leader. When someone says something, if I can kind of recognize I'm feeling defensive or hear myself, what I'm saying is defending myself, trying to explain myself. It's a little bit of a red flag of, oh, wait, maybe I'm not listening because I'm putting all this energy into defending myself. And so then what? You know, so maybe this is an actionable thing. Well, step one is recognizing you're being defensive because we're defensive all the time. If I am. And it's okay. But if I can realize I'm being defensive, I try to zoom out. I'm like, okay, wait, what are they trying to tell me? Like, there's a nugget of truth in here. Even though I kind of disagree with the way the message is being said. And this actually just happened last week. Like Robert and I had a really big challenge on a thing we were just working on, kind of an inter-relationship challenge. And I was finally able to realize how defensive I was being. And I'm like, wait, okay, zoom out. What's the nugget of the thing he's trying to say? All right. And it can be this way for students too, when they're giving you some feedback, you know, when they're like, I just feel like you're pressuring me, or I feel like there's all this pressure for me to do the thing. Well, even if you didn't feel like you were putting pressure on that student, maybe you were. And regardless of whether you meant to, they're feeling it. And so instead of trying to talk your way out of it, like, oh, that's really helpful for me to know. Okay. Well, let's zoom out. What would be helpful for you right now? And then try to listen. That doesn't mean you can actually execute the thing they just said, right? But a lot of times there's some space in there. And so, you know, the open communication, there's books and all these sorts of things about how to facilitate it. But like an actionable thing that has helped me professionally and personally this last you know, year or two is like, if I'm being defensive, like just like, whoa, okay, zoom out. Like, what's the lesson here? Because there's, there's a nugget of something there for you to take on board. And I think it'd be tricky with the, like the bias stuff. When 
I might bring it up with folks I'm working with. I try to step really lightly and listen for their defensiveness. Because if I sort of elicit defensiveness in them, then they're not going to listen. They're busy defending themselves. So how can I kind of um, zoom out a little bit or maybe just let it rest, you know, bring it up later. Or maybe that's it. You know, maybe, maybe all I could do is just kind of bring it up and maybe it'll simmer with them a little bit. That's a very good point on the defensive stuff. Cause I get really defensive too in certain things. And I need to have more awareness about that on myself and, and with my partner in life, especially, you know, she's it's a hard one. She's like, you always get so defensive and I'm like, and you don't even realize it. Like it's um, yeah. not trying to be defensive. Well, it's supernatural. I mean, it is 100% natural. And also you're feeling like they misunderstood the thing, right? They misunderstood you or they don't get it or da 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 da. I mean, all this stuff can be true at the same time. Um, but when you're really busy being defensive, I don't know, it gets to be a little roadblocky. Is there anything with the seashells? <laughs> I can't even say it. With the she saws she for the seashore. <laughs> With the she saws presentation that you that you want to bring forward that we haven't talked about yet, either from feedback that you received during it, post it, you know we've we've covered it, I think pretty decently. But I don't want to I don't want to miss a, g- a good nugget of information that you want to share. I'm out of nuggets. Yeah, at the nugget. I think the, <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing was it was electric. Like it was so good, and I think some really good things got brought up during it. And we went from there into the women in trail building closer session. That's not the right word. It was a session. It wasn't a session. There's a bunch of us in the same room, about 70 of us in the same room 70. right afterward. Yeah. But it was still only about 7%. I was just about to do the math on that. <laughs> <laughs> it was 70 something, but it was still sort of like. Still not enough. No. But it was so good. It was a it was a quick networking opportunity, and we had a thing that came out of it. There's not much there yet, but working with um Aaron Kay of PTDA and bouncing some ideas around with uh, Kristen Bailey of the White Mountains, and then side con- side conversations with Aaron Amadon. Whoa, there's a LinkedIn group, and it's um what's it called? I probably lost the window. Um, I believe we're calling it. Women trail builders. Yes, women trail builders. There's nothing there yet, but it is a LinkedIn group and it will have more on it imminently because we're all kind of coming and going from our desks right now. It's a busy time of year. And it'll be a good networking space for people. And it's a big deal because we kind of talked about this stuff last year. Then we're all busy and not a lot happened. Um, And now we have a thing. And so, you know, little by little, we would like more networking opportunities to help Mm, not just let people know this is a career option, but people who have already started their path, you know, networking and side conversations and resources and stuff like that. That's really good. Yes, that is really so, yeah, good. Yeah, so that came out of it. Yeah. Can't believe it's still only 7%. I know. I know. I couldn't either. Like, it was so funny because we're all in this room and like, I'm like, so I was wearing high vis for my talk and, you know, I walked right over there from my talk and I'm trying to like, inconspicuously sit on the floor in the middle of the room and I was <laughs> counting <laughs> every single person. <laughs> Not super inconspicuous, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was really good. And a lot of really great comments. You know, I think an exciting thing about, um, you know, it's weird. It's, um, it's weird. Real quick and then we'll move on. 
it's weird that I, uh, I think finding myself in this role, uh, really, okay, so Aaron Amadan, during the talk, someone asked, how do you feel about like the affinity space? It's like, say, all women chainsaw crew or all women trail crew. And I'd have to watch the video to remember exactly who said what. Aaron Amanon said it perfectly. We're similar age. She's like, I have a really hard time with it. She's like, because I don't want us to need them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm so glad she articulated that because like, I feel the same. I, I, it, it took me a while these last couple of years to just sort of like come, I think, view this stuff as maybe it's an incubator space, like the all women. And again, it could be all African-American, all Asian-American, all Native American, right? Pick your affinity group, but like the all female trailbuilding spaces or chainsaw spaces, like I also feel the same. But then, and Aaron, she and I talked about this afterwards too. We both find those spaces to be really amazing. Like they're just different. The conversations are different. There's less self-checking. People tend to shine and maybe saw at a higher level because maybe they feel less scrutiny. And there's probably ways to talk about it that I'm not articulating right now. So I thought that was just amazing that that got brought up in the room. And a bunch of other conversations happened with me after she saw men and women who were in the room just on the side being like, uh, a woman who works, I forget if it was Montana or Wyoming, but she's been the only female on her. um, She's in a land manager. I wonder if she was the one that was sitting next to me at the conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's Wyoming. I want to say it was definitely Montana or Wyoming, but I think Wyoming. Yeah, it was her. And it was after the meeting afterwards. She was like, man, you just hit the nail on the head. She's like, I think for a while I thought it was me. Like, like, I know I'm not alone, but I'm like, uh, why does it just feel so frustrating? And she's like, I love my job. I love my crew and all these things. But she's like, I don't know. I'm butchering what she said to me, but the essence of it was, she's like, I don't know why it felt so good hearing you articulate that stuff, but like, I'm energized and I really needed it. And, um, that feels really good. Like, it feels good to be, um, I don't know, helping out in that kind of way. Yeah. You know, going back to the affinity spaces and I don't want this to come off as, as negative, but a while ago, and you know, this. I don't know if I've had this conversation with you actually, though. I've had this conversation with multiple people, though. Doing the Women in Trail Building series for this podcast, when it was initially presented to me, I was kind of like, yeah, that's a great thing. And then I got to thinking about it more. I'm like, I don't want it to be a series because that <laughs> means there's an end to it. <laughs> Calling it a series, like, set, it's like, I'll do a series on a particular location, we'll say. Yeah. But I don't want to stop, you know, having women come on the show or any any particular group yeah because it doesn't it shouldn't end yeah it should just mm-hmm. be con- it should just continue to happen yeah you know i i agree i agree and so that's why i pivoted from calling it a series i may have called it a series once or twice early on and i'm like no i gotta not do series because series isn't the right way of saying this or doing it I, not just saying it doing it yeah, I, I agree. And I also really appreciate that because I think it also makes it a little too contrived when it's just a little, it's like, you know, it's like Women's History Month. And I'm like, don't even get me started. Like, 
<laughs> the rest of the story, you know. <laughs> but again, you know, I, uh, poor Matt, poor white guys, like to throw the white guys under the bus. You know, it's just it's been it's been the voice who's written a lot of the history and um, who has been a lot of the voices, like my cat here, and sort of driving the conversation. So yeah, like I just think interwoven, right? Interwoven, sure. not going. For sure. Let's go into, before I wrap this up, let's go into the multiple sessions that you either participated in or facilitated um, when talking trail skills in higher education, because that's obviously a, a very integral role with your current career. And that's becoming a lot more common and people are trying to figure out how that all fits in higher education and what, what's going on in that world for trail skills, yeah. for all trail skills of everybody. Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. So it's, it's so exciting. So another thing of, of the ITS that I was really involved in is trail, I guess we'll just say trail building in higher education, right? So not necessarily, it may be, maybe it's trail skills like running an excavator, maybe it's more the management of trail systems, but kind of the boots on the ground side of it. And um, so yeah, coming into the conference, there was an open door session for the public to kind of present a few of us who are in the higher ed space, present our programs and take questions. And then there were a couple closer sessions to hash out some things. And all of it was really exciting because some of this stuff's been kicking around for a couple of years. Um, there have been some programs that are out there and things are starting to coalesce, I think in a way that's gonna, um, over the next couple of years, meet industry needs more than it has been. And in a way that's going to meet industry needs at different levels. <laughs> in the words of Greg Mazu, careers moms approve of. <laughs> so the, the open door session, uh, it was really good. It was Jay Post from Arkansas Tech University. Um, Anne, oh, I'm going to butcher her last name, N-Y-G-A-R-D from Northern Vermont University. Um, Darren Wells from Central Wyoming College and then Megan Bolander from Northwest Arkansas Community College. We all talked about our programs. It was great. And then we rolled right after that into the, what we thought was the time for the closed-door session, but we got to like the special room for it. And the time in the special room, instead of 9.30, it said 10.30. But who, this wasn't anywhere in the schedule. Like it wasn't on the online schedule or the printed schedule. And we're like, Oh, if we're confused and we're the ones that organized it, who else is confused? <laughs> like, who do we? We made a we made a game time decision to like, okay, let's just go in this room. We're gonna get started. We got problems we gotta work out. And then we started, and then a few minutes, like within like a minute, we we're like, wait, 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 <laughs> it can't just be us. We need the rest of the people who are supposed to be here. Who has the list of who's supposed to be here? <laughs> so, Anne got on her email and like sent out an email blast in case people's phones and notifications were on. I started texting people, somebody else, because all of us have different contacts. And so we all just sent out the bat signal. Ah, it was amazing. So within minutes, okay, we had Tony Boone walking into the room with Willie Bittner on one side. And God, I think um, Mike Ritter was on the other side. We had Mike Passo come rolling in. We had one of the Forest Service guys who I just got introduced to like a few hours before representing Region 8. He came rolling in and Michael Meister from Tennessee, he came rolling in. Somehow Jake Powell from Utah State and Wendy Lutz from Arizona. Uh, 
she's also the faculty of um, University of Arizona. Anyway, within a few minutes, we had a room full of people and it was the right people in the room to start working on things. Man, we had like a two hour, like keyboards were burning up, taking notes. And the things we were really trying to hash out was, um, what are we doing? <laughs> What's our point? Because <laughs> there are different programs that are kind of in different stages of development or growth. And obviously we have different um, industry portions we're trying to um, support, right? The land managers, the nonprofits, the trail builders. And how do we do that? And a thing we've been talking about, well, it has been talked about for years, but it's finally starting to get some traction. Um, it's kind of the credentialing stuff. You know, the construction industry has a very robust um, credentialing and certification programming, you know, program for different technical aspects of the construction industry. And yeah, we really kind of, it was great. Oh man. And I'd never met Greg Mazu before from Single Track Trails. Oh, it's fabulous. Because he's like, all right, I'm just going to say some stuff here and I don't care what it sounds like, but here's some truth. And we're going to like talk about this, like, you know, so here's some issues. And it was just like that again and again um, with some really good sort of what's next steps. And, and Jeremy Poor from McDowell Tech in North Carolina, like he and I are just getting to know each other. Like he really shined of like, okay, guys, like <laughs> time for some, all right, here's some, we need some action items. We've been talking, we need some action items. So we all got some action items out of it and then did the next step. And it was just so good. And it was, it was coming out of that conversation that um, Mike Ritter and I talked in the door. He's like, I've been in conversations like these off and on for, I don't know, a while now. And uh, I feel like things are really starting to move. Like, thanks for your role in this. And, and obviously, it's not just me, right? There's, it's a bunch of us, right? A bunch of us. And including, you know, Aaron Kay and Mike Passo. Like, things are starting to move. And Megan Bolander from, Dr. Megan Bolander from Northwest Arkansas Community College. She's bringing a background of construction and of community college workforce development that a lot of us don't have. And it's just like, I think we finally have enough people working on this stuff between different people's energies and expertise and backgrounds and bandwidth. Things are happening and it's good. And, and there was another closer session that was uh, the next day that Mike Ritter pulled me into. And that was um, Megan... Again, Dr. Megan Bolander from Northwest Arkansas Community College talking specifically to the trailbuilders, to PTBA members, sort of talking about the program they're developing there at Northwest Arkansas Community College because they've had a bike tech program and now they're working on a, the trailbuilding side of it, right? And it can be paired with one of their construction degrees. And it was just, again, it's, it's conversations that are really not just talking about stuff like action items coming out of it. And, I think over the next six months, year, we're going to have traction on the arc of this travel building in higher ed. And I'm just going to steal his line. Uh, Greg Mazu, we're going to have careers moms approve of. You know, instead of being like, what? What? No, you're not. No, you're not studying travel building. No, like that's, that's not a thing. That's a hobby. You know, it's, it's going to be real. <laughs> and it's going to be real in a way that like people can relate to and get get federal, you know, scholarship funding for Pell Grants for parental support for. <laughs> and maybe we'll start chipping away at this uh, workforce problem 
that the whole we, you know, including the Forest Service is working on. Yeah, it's coming. It's just, ah, it's just really good stuff. It's just, yeah, a lot of good things come out of the ITS. I love how you say, or Greg Mays, you says, careers moms approve of, because I just had to like, in the last month or so, <laughs> told my, tell my mom that I'm changing careers. <laughs> She's like, you're doing what? You're doing what? Why would you do that? Well, no, 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 you're not doing that. No, but I am. <laughs> you know, and so I have to like, try to like tell her that it's a legit thing to do. And I'm here in my mid forties trying to tell my mom that <laughs> I'm changing, career, changing careers. My CPA last year was like, you can't make a business out of a hobby. I'm like, <laughs> but it's a real job. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we go into that a lot more in depth with, uh, with the Greg Mizzou value of a professional dirtbag presentation which is also going to be highlighted on this after this one. So there's, and I, and I, I mean, I'll be hoping I found some areas that we talked about it in his show, but there's definitely some areas within this industry that we are lacking just for getting talent in the door. You know what I mean? Cause you're talking about, as Greg says, we, you know, you're trying to pull professionals in any sense from, we'll say the, the three letter consultants or other areas of professionalism. You know, maybe that's civil engineers, maybe it's landscape architects, maybe that's regular architects, construction managers, plug in the profession, right? That still that you can that you need to have in trail building. Mm -hmm. And and there's still some stuff that's that's missing, you know, that we need to to attract those people that have the talents and the skills. Yeah. I find it to be an exciting time. I also I don't know, things are kind of dynamic right now. Like I, I think. I think a lot of us working in this stuff right now and who have been working in it, like I'm, I'm still relatively new to this stuff compared to, you know, the Mike Ritters and the, you know, Aaron Rodgers of the world and, and Mike Passo and all them. But I think 10 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, wow. We have the opportunity to shape it. Yeah. I mean, how many, like, take another profession that was shaped probably a, a few decades ago or more. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of parallels in the trades, you know. And I think it'll be good. It's needed. And I think the whole industry uh, will benefit, I think, from a lot of things that are starting to take shape. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we're talking about trails and trails offer so many more benefits than what people really realize, you know, especially when you when you hit on the, the mental health side of things. Like I, this actually dawned to me when I was in Colorado, just on my way home from the ITS conference in, in Reno. And that is when I go mountain biking where I live, I don't really fully unplug from day-to-day life mentally because I know the trail so well that I don't need to mentally unplug. And I still have the clutter bouncing around my, in my brain that you're trying to get away from. And it dawned on me in Colorado because I was riding trails that was, that were a, a lot more technical than what I would ride where I live. And so and, and B, just at the most basic level, different. Back home, I know where every root, every rock, every little line, like all of it, because I've done it so many times. In here, like around every corner is is something new or where I was in Colorado, you know? So it really, like, and I never looked at it like that before until I was in Colorado. I was like, I don't, I don't unplug as much when I'm at home as I got to on this trip because I had to truly focus. I'm going to riff on that for a second. Yeah. So it's fascinating. So yeah, so you, because it was so new, 
you really had to kind of tune in and almost wasn't space, but you allowed it to take up all the space, right? You And it needed to take up all the space. Especially when it's technical, yeah. But it's interesting. So Robert and I recently in Alabama doing a um, trail assessment down there in the Sipsy Wilderness, which is really pretty. Um, <laughs> I didn't know much about Alabama. I, all right, full disclosure, uh, the, I, I'm super dumb sometimes. I didn't realize that the, the tail end of the Appalachians ended in Alabama. I always kind of assumed it ended in Georgia. <laughs> I, honestly, <laughs> like I didn't know that either. Now that you say that, I, I guess I haven't looked at a map that closely. Poor Alabama. Yeah, it goes all the way down in Alabama. And um, super pretty. And the Sipsy Wilderness is kind of on the um, west side. Um, and it's south of the Tennessee Valley. Did you know the Tennessee Valley includes northern Alabama? I didn't know that. And so, anyway, it's super pretty. And it was very, um, there's aspects of it that felt very familiar to the middle Appalachians and the southern Appalachians that are north of there. But it was also kind of discontiguous from the Appalachians. Like it wasn't along the ridge and it was, uh, it's a lot of karst um, geology. So we have sandstone and um, limestone. limestone. Mm-hmm. And coves and waterfalls and caves and stuff. And so many times down there, you know, Robert is sharing experiences from a lot of where we work up here with the folks we're on the ground with. And he also is just like, he was able to really unplug and because we hadn't been down there uh, and we're doing a trail assessment in a place we hadn't been, you know, the trail issues were familiar themselves, but the location wasn't. And yeah, it was like, it allowed to take up all that space in your room and like the clutter of your daily stuff wasn't in there. And it was just, so I think both from a recreational side, but then sort of from the professional side, when you're on a new location, it kind of scratches that itch too of kind of immersive, like immersive problem solving in a way that's uh, not just exciting, but I don't know, not stressful. <laughs> I mean, there's aspects that were stressful because like <laughs> we had a lot to do in a short amount of time. But when you're out there, it's, it's just so immersive. Yeah. In, in a good way. Yes. Yes, it's good to... They actually have to focus on what's in front of you and not what may be actually behind you or mentally behind you or getting way ahead of yourself and just be present, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how should we wrap this one up? I don't know. Thank yous. Closing comments. Words Gosh. of wisdom from the chainsaw sorceress. <laughs> I'll always chuckle. Again, don't oversell it. <laughs> um, thank you. So there's a ton of folks I didn't think, but uh, you know, I have a lot of folks that I'm working with kind of new professionally, and I'm always just so excited. Like I'm so excited to be working with a diverse group of people right now, both on higher ed stuff, trail skills, or service folks, sort of highway administration. Like it's just neat. A lot of neat stuff going on. And I always appreciate people giving me the time of day. <laughs> Where's the wisdom? Um, I think something has been prescient, prescient, present, I don't know, on my mind is, is kind of a vulnerability to 
doing stuff a little like pushing your skill level, whether it's technical skills or otherwise. And I guess whole year has been a lot of that for me. Some of it's really uncomfortable and some of it is critiquable. <laughs> Probably all of it. <laughs> I think it is interesting. I've been thinking about the She Saws talk a lot and encouraging people to let themselves be seen and also acknowledging that like it's not without risk. You know, it's a lot easier, I think, to kind of keep your head low, stick with what you know. And it's very satisfying to branch out. And for me, it's exciting to kind of be out front and go ahead and like expose myself and, you know, things I bring uh, skill wise, but also bring my shortcomings and maybe have a, a little bit of a humbleness about it now that maybe I didn't have 20 years ago. But also like just let it be out there and let myself um, be out front in some ways that like I'm not I'm not a not I'm not an amazing chainsaw operator. <laughs> I'm perfectly adequate. <laughs> and that's okay. I don't have to be amazing at all the things to let to let myself um, be out there and be a little public about it. And yeah, I don't know. I guess just acknowledging as, as people branch out in their careers or things that they're passionate about, just acknowledging like it's not always easy and that's okay. That is perfect. Perfect way to wrap this one up. Martha, I do thank you for taking some time out of what we know is already your busy schedule <laughs> between, you know, I mean, you don't even live near Rockingham community college for one, I don't. nor do you live near Alabama or Reno or any <laughs> place else you've been in the past month. Yeah. I appreciate your willingness to come on the show to talk about all the things that we talk about second returning guest in the same, like within probably two months. It was, it was uh, like February 13th or 12th or something. Yeah. It's been like, it was recent. <laughs> so yeah. Now we're in, are we in May? We are in May. We're in May. It seems weird. It is weird. <laughs> but we know it's we're in May because, you know, like you pointed out early on, the pollen is in full effect. <laughs> Well, Josh, I really appreciate you. Like, it has been a delight getting to know you more. And I just, you're doing amazing work. And just uh, watching you do your craft and then being able to know you more, like, just, man, you're doing great work. Keep it up. I know it's not always easy. (laughs) But you're making a difference. Yes, that's something that people need to hear more with whatever they're doing, that whatever you might be doing isn't always easy and to keep pushing, which you've spoken about many times in this show. Yeah. You know, it not being easy doesn't mean you're failing. You might also be failing. You're probably learning too. So it's not always (laughs) failure. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, thank you, Martha. Thank you for listening. Next week, we'll be featuring another presentation from the International Trail Summit titled The Value of a Professional Dirtbag with presenters Greg Mezu and Drew Pollock-Bruce. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect Podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect Podcast, check out the affiliate links tab at the Trail Effect website where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, 
worldwide cyclery, and Trail One components. By using the affiliate links found at www.traileffectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.